Hey Porch folks, it is good to be back with you guys. Um, I know I say that usually when I teach uh, to start uh, every sermon, but uh, this time I actually mean it. I've been off for a bunch of weeks dealing with um, uh, Melissa's health issues and the stuff that you guys all know about. And so I really appreciate uh, you guys letting me take a step back and take care of the family for a couple of weeks. Um, and we, we appreciate your love and support. Um, I want to thank Toby and Neil uh, for filling in. Toby from Christchurch and Neil from the EFCA. Um, Toby filled in three three times for me um, in the last month. And so I'm so grateful for the partnerships with the EFCA church and the denomination and um, with Christchurch here in the city. Um, so anyway, I want to thank those guys. Um, today we're going to do something a little different. You might notice, well, I mean, I'm in my van again. I hate filming in my van, but... Uh, I had nowhere to film at home, and I'm running out of time this week. It's already Friday. I usually film these on Thursdays. Um, so you're going to hear some cars, noises of people driving by, and you might hear some skateboarders or whatever. But anyway, I don't know. I'm filming in the real world. Uh, that's pandemic life, right? Well, anyway, uh, we're not going to do a Luke sermon today. We're going to get back into Luke next week. Uh, but what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to celebrate our one-year birthday as a church. And I know we had the core team going for more than a year before, but our official launch date uh, was last year on March 8th. We started the Sunday services at the Powell Street location, and we got to meet uh, two weeks. And then uh, the lockdowns hit, and we had to, um, um, you know, move to doing stuff online. And so we've not had a normal first year as a church plant that most uh, church plants get to have. Um, but I wanted to take uh, one week and just talk about kind of where we are and where we're headed. Um, a lot of churches do this. They call them Vision Sundays. I've not always done this as a pastor. Maybe I should have. Um, maybe this will be a good, um, you know, um, a good thing for the porch to get into once a year in March to talk about. Um, so it's sort of like a State of the Union address. You know, the, the president every year gets up in front of Congress and gives a State of the Union address. And um, so that's kind of what we're going to do here. I'm going to leave in pause breaks for applause, you know, just like the president does um, when he gives the State of the Union. That was one right there. I hope you clapped. All right. Um, so we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about our church and we're going to talk about kind of what's been going on and where hopefully where we're headed. Um, there's an American philosopher. His name is John Dewey. Let me read you this quote. I've got my iPad up behind the camera here. Uh, it says, we don't learn from experience. We learn by reflecting on experience. I think that's such a great, um, great little uh, quick quote is you don't learn just by going through something or having an experience. But what you learn is by stopping and taking time to reflect on what has happened um, in that experience. And um, I think one of my failures as a pastor in the past, like I said, was I don't think I did this well enough with my old church and just take time and, and think about what is it that's happened and, um, uh, you know, take time to reflect. And so that's what I want to do here today. And so I'm going to have a couple of big bullet points and some sub points under. I'm going to be kind of all over the place today. Uh, so hopefully you'll be able to follow along. I'll throw some uh, some text in the, you know, somewhere down below or something. Anyway, here's the first thing I want to say, though, and I, I've been processing this a lot, and I'm in a couple of groups with some pastors, and um, and uh, at one of those groups a couple weeks ago, I was at a um, ranch um, down halfway to Santa Cruz, and we were talking about this, and it was reassuring to hear these other guys kind of talk about the same thing that I've been thinking, and it's this, that we think our church people desperately need to hear that waiting is okay. 
Having seasons of life where not a lot is happening and we're waiting on the Lord is biblical, right? It's okay. Churches especially, and especially church plants, um, we always want to be moving forward, right? We want momentum. We want to we want to pick things up and we want to get going. And, um, you know, we want Pentecost to happen all the time where the pastor gets up and teaches and thousands of people come to faith. And we want to look back at the last couple of months and see a steady increase in everything that's been, you know, in baptisms and giving and attendance and, you know, neighbors that we've met and all that sort of stuff, right? We want, we want tangible things that we can look to and say, this is something we did as a church, right? But the biblical pattern that we see all the time is that a lot of time God just says, hold on guys, I need you to slow down. I need you to wait so that I can do something in your hearts. So let me give you just a few examples, right? The first example that comes to mind, the, the most clear example to me is uh, the story of King David. So David is anointed as the king by Samuel. You know that story with the brothers, right? Not this brother, not that brother. That's all the brothers. Well, there's the run out back, you know, taking care of the sheep. And then he's the one who's anointed king. And then he goes and he works for Samuel. I'm sorry, he works for Saul, the king, the current king, right? So he's anointed king, but he's working for the king as like an assistant. And Saul hates David man, because everybody else loves him. And so David spends years and years just waiting, right? Being chased around the desert. This is all in the book of 1 Samuel. Being chased around the desert... Uh, trying to prove to Saul that he's no threat to him, right? And so years and years go by. And then David finally takes the throne, right? Saul is killed and uh, you know, he takes his own life at the end of a battle and um, uh, David becomes the king. But here's the thing, when David first becomes the king, not the entire nation of Israel follows him, right? It, it, it's years before he fully uh, consolidates the throne of Israel. Years and years go by. David wandering around um, in the wilderness, and a similar wilderness experience happens with the Apostle Paul, right? So Saul, you know, the, Saul's his Jewish name, Paul's his Greek name, um, heading on the road to Damascus, and Jesus drop kicks him off the horse, and he's like, what are you doing to me, man? And, you know, uh, and th that whole thing, you know, the light shines in his eyes, and he's blinded, and that whole story happens, and then he's baptized, and um, he preaches, and doesn't have a ton of success, and then he disappears. I forget, I didn't look it up, but I think it's like eight years or something. He disappears, like, for a while, and Paul takes off into the wilderness as well. And we don't know where he went exactly. We don't know what exactly happened to him. But when he came back, he was Paul the Apostle. Um, Thomas had the same thing, right? You know, the, the story of doubting Thomas. And I, I point this detail out in sermons all the time, I think, that the story is that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples and, you know, Thomas wasn't there. And when he shows up, Jesus is gone. And everybody's, hey, we saw Jesus. And Thomas didn't believe him. And then the detail that we all kind of skip over is that, like, I think it was like a week went by, almost seven or eight days went by. That's a lot of time for Thomas to just sit, sit and wait. And then eventually, right, uh, Jesus... Uh, does show up and and show him. But he had this period in there of waiting. Or think of Joseph. There's so many examples of this, right? Think of Joseph uh, in the book of Genesis. And how many years did he spend in prison and uh, sold into slavery? Also that someday God had him prepared to save the people of Egypt and the people of the whole uh, sort of Near East world. We also have the example, and this is probably the biggest one. We have the example of the resurrection, right? So the resurrection happens. 
and uh, Jesus gets his guys together and he, he hangs out with them for a little more than a month and then the ascension happens and he Superman blasts off into the clouds and they're all standing there looking up and just sort of like, well, was he coming back? What's going on? And these angels show up, hey dudes, he's not coming back. Go wait, you know. And Jesus' instructions to them had been, go wait in Jerusalem uh, and just wait. And so that's what they did, right? They went and they waited in Jerusalem. And so I guess all this to say that uh, for a church plant like ours, a small uh, church plant in a big city, um, we want things to happen, right? We want to, to look back at the first year and say, oh man, here's these huge successes that we've had. And, you know, here's how much we grew and we want to be able to brag about numbers and that sort of stuff. But that's not the first year that God had in mind for our church. And um, the first year that God had in mind for our church is a lot like that first couple of days before Pentecost. Just go wait, guys. I need you to wait. Um, so what did happen, though? So we were waiting, right? So what happened? Well, the second point I kind of want to make, I want to talk about our church's DNA. So the first couple of years of building a church and starting a church, you're going to build things into the DNA of the church, things that will hopefully stick with that church throughout the life of the church. We're going to create a church culture that's going to be very hard to change down the road. And I think there's a few things that we were able to do in um, pushing towards that goal of building solid gospel DNA, right? So I want to give you a few of these things, right? Even during the time of COVID, when things didn't happen the way that we had planned. So let me give you a few. The first is, um, and one of the big ones, is that we were able to continue our partnership with other churches. So right when COVID hit and um, the, the, the shutdowns happened and the, the shelter-in-place orders um, happened, and by the way, happy one-year anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve, right? No, I'm just kidding. I a, some, saw somebody post that on Facebook. I thought it was funny. But anyway, um, I saw another guy had a tweet, by the way, that said, this tweet did not age well. He texted his mom in March, hey, I'm going to be working at home for the next two weeks. <laughs> um, anyway, so even during the shelter in place and everything, we were able to partner with um, our two big partner churches, right? With the, the Evangelical Free Church, that's sort of our mother church, right? And um, our other buddy church with Christ Church. So right when all this happened, um, we were not prepared to just launch a Sunday gathering online. Like we didn't have the bandwidth, you know, we have a, this staff, really just me and Kaylee, you know, we didn't have all that stuff set up. And so um, we were able to partner with Christ Church for those first few months. Uh, and they've given us a lot of that kind of support. And then we've gotten a lot of support also from um, the EV Free Church uh, on Union Street. And they've been giving us a ton of financial support, right? Like we probably would not be here if it was not for the EV Free Church. And so the first thing that we were able to try to build into the DNA of our church is that that we're not the only church in San Francisco, right? We're part of a network of really amazing gospel churches that our that are... Um, that are, are pushing forward the kingdom of God here. And I never want our church to be on an island in San Francisco. I never want that to happen for us. I always want us to have Easter services with other churches and do your Good Friday maybe, or, you know, like um, Christmas Eve service, something. I always want us to be partnering with other churches because together we're a lot stronger than we are uh, by ourselves. So that's the first thing. The second thing we did was we picked up the Luke series and we continued uh, to study through the book of Luke. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but every um, sermon in the book of Luke has the word king in it, the, the title of the sermon, right? So um, the king of the supernatural, the king of whatever. 
you know, have faith in the king, something. Because what we're reading the book of Luke for is, sorry, I really wanted to build into our DNA this idea that our church is about Jesus and who he really is and who he reveals himself to be in the gospels, right? And in, in his word. And so we're reading the book of Luke to surrender our church to him as a king. And I want that to be a central point of who we are as a church, that Jesus is our king. So we have the, the partnership with other churches. We have Jesus as our king. Um, then during the summer, we read a couple of books. We read Generous Justice um, to talk about how our church relates to culture. And uh, built into the DNA of our church, I never want us to be a, a bomb shelter church, you know, that just huddles together while the world outside there, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, burns or whatever. I, like, I want us to be engaged in culture. And Generous Justice was a great book to kind of uh, helps, help us process that conversation. Another book we read towards that same end is um, The Art of Neighboring. And um, that's another huge thing that I, I desperately want to be built into the culture of the porch is that we are, this kind of one of the main things I want us to be known for is that we're the church that loves our neighbors. Like we really actually love our neighbors and we do what we can to serve them and we sacrifice to love them because Jesus loved us when we were unlovable. Jesus loved us, our King, right? Um, he, he came and he saved us. Um, and he turned us into people that are like him. And so we display his love by loving our neighbors. Um, the next thing, um, the last thing kind of on my list here of ways that we were, we were able to start building our DNA is through the reading plan. Um, we're reading through the New Testament and the Psalms together. And uh, again, just like with Jesus as our king by reading the Gospel of Luke, we just, I don't want our church to be about me and my ideas. I want our church to be about God and his word, right? And so that's why we love people, because his word tells us to. That's why we engage in culture, because his word tells us to, right? So all this stuff, we, we want to be built on the foundation of the word of God. And so uh, that's sort of the, the DNA stuff. So here, um, next big, big idea, my next big point is um, I want to, as we look back on the year, um, uh, one of my favorite spiritual disciplines or practices is what we call Ebenezer Stone. So if you know that story, I think that's in Samuel too. Um, everything I know is from Samuel because I taught that book a few years ago and I really love it. I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, in the book of Samuel, there was a battle. And at the end of the battle, God won it for his people sort of miraculously. And then he told his people, hey, take that big giant rock over there, tilt it up on its side, call it an Ebenezer stone. That's from Come Thou Fount, you know, here I raise my Ebenezer, right? That's what that means. Um, and then every time you walk past that rock, remember what it is that God did for you. And they actually do this a couple of times. I think they do this when they cross the Jordan. And there's a bunch of these um, these stones all over Israel. And so the idea is you want to look back at the things that God has done for you. And you want to look back at just what sort of what has happened so that you can uh, trust that going forward, he is going to be faithful. So um, I thought of three things that sort of we can look back on that have happened this year that make me think, as a church, we're heading in the right direction. Um, that we're on the right path. We're on the path that God wants us on. So the, f the first one is this, that we have been provided for, we've had provision uh, beyond our means as a church. We're a small church. Um, we're a really small church. We're a church plant. We, um, and funding is always an issue, and we live in the first or second, depending who you ask, most expensive city in America. 
right? It's either us or New York, depending on which graph you look at and what metrics they use and all that stuff. But I mean, we live in a pretty expensive place to live, right? We're planting a church in one of the more expensive neighborhoods in one of the more expensive cities. And so even during that, and even if you take the fact in, we were talking about this on the Wednesday night call, I'm a terrible fundraiser. I am not a good fundraiser. Um, I know people, I said, like I said on Wednesday, that can snap their fingers and raise $100,000 or raise a million dollars or whatever. There are people who are really good at that. Uh, I'm not. I don't like asking for money. I never know what to say. Um, every time somebody tells me they can't give me any money, I go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know. Um, <laughs> like, I'm just not that pushy salesman. I don't, I'm just not good at it, right? And somehow, we have been completely provided for completely beyond anything that I could have expected, right? So we have our regular donors, which for a small church plant, um, just even from within the church, we are raising quite a bit, you know, you guys are very generous with your tithes and offerings. Um, but then outside of our church, we have a bunch of just regular, um, uh, super generous, um, super generous people who are giving on a regular basis. Um, the second big way that we've been able to raise money is like I said, the partnership with, um, uh, the Evangelical Free Church on Union. Um, they are amazing. And um, they give us, uh, you know, every, you know, first Monday of the month or whatever it is, I drive down and I meet Pastor Stephen and we chat for a little bit. And then he gives me a big gigantic check and I take it to the bank. And um, like I said, they're one of the big reasons that we're even still here, right? Um, uh, we, we were able to get a matching grant and uh, I shared uh, on the Wednesday night call that, I mean, I wasn't even expecting to get the matching grant again. And then I wasn't, you know, I thought, and even if we do, we're not going to be able to raise money again like last year. And this time they did the matching grant a little bit different, right? They did it as a four to one. So we had to raise six grand to get uh, 30 total. So they were going to match it to 24. And um, at the beginning of January, sorry, at the end of January, we were, I don't know, 500 bucks away or something like that. And then everything happened with my family and I basically took a month off and I didn't do anything for the matching grant. And then at the end of February, when the deadline was at the beginning of March there, uh, I talked to the guy, the matching grant guy, and he said, yeah, you raised about $11,000. So somehow we raised about six grand without me trying at all. And again, a lot of those people were folks from um, the Evangelical Free Church, names that I didn't even know, right? Logged in and gave $100, $200, you know, whatever. Um, that's pretty amazing. And so we're so grateful for that. And then just another sort of miraculous, I don't know if I'd say miraculous, but just a, a really amazing way that we've been provided for is we got one of those forgivable government loans that a lot of churches got denied for. But because my brother and his accounting firm has um, relationships with this small bank in Yuba City, way up there, um, he called them and just said, hey, would you be up for uh, giving my brother one of these loans in his church? And the lady was like, sure, you know, yeah, for you. And so that relationship that my brother has with this bank ended up getting us, I forget what it was, 20 something grand, you know? And so, um, going forward, we're going to need to raise a lot more money and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But for now, like a lot of churches are struggling financially. And as a church, just because of our low overhead and our big giant fundraising that we were able to do this year, we're actually in a really good place. Um, and so just taking into the, into account that I'm a terrible fundraiser, um, God really has showed up in an amazing way. So that's the first thing I wanted to say to just look at and be like, wow, this is evidence that 
um, God is blessing what we're doing, that we're on the right path. The second one is a little bit more depressing. Um, so the second idea is that I think we've experienced a lot of spiritual warfare. Uh, our next sermon in the book of Luke, we're going to talk about the legion of demons um, in uh, um, uh, that Jesus casts out of that guy, you know, the, the seemingly crazy dude, right? Uh, and that whole story. And we're going to talk all about demonic forces and that sort of stuff. But here's the deal, right? Is uh, the enemy never invests a lot of effort in something that's not on the right path right? Joel Osteen is not under a lot of spiritual warfare, right? Because he's not leading people to the gospel. And um, just a lot of things, like you guys know the last um, two or three months that our, like just our family, right, has had. And Melissa and I were talking about this and she was on a call with some um, foster moms and pastor's wives or something. And they were talking about this too, that like, we really feel like, man, the last couple of months, the enemy really kicked it into full gear to try to get our family. Because I think if you get our family, the, we're the, you know, like I'm the pastor of this small church and um, like get us now, uh, why you still can, because pretty soon our church is going to grow and we're going to be strong that even if you take me down, we're going to keep going. Um, so anyway, just looking back at that, right, is I, I feel like we must be doing something that's got him nervous because uh, he really put on the full court press um, uh, the last couple of months. The good news is, right, that um, the spirit within us is stronger, right, than uh, the spirit in the world. We don't have to worry about the enemy, right, because we're, we are serving the king who has defeated the enemy. Right, and so even though we've faced this full court press, right, we're not giving up. Right, this all that says to me is, yeah, we're on the right track. Right, he's getting nervous. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it's something that the enemy is afraid of. So that's the next thing. Then the 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 third thing that makes me look at our church and go, um, you know, evidence of sort of that we're on the right path, evidence of God's grace, is that we're still here. Right, there's. A handful of churches in the city that have closed because of COVID. Um, I know a couple of pastors that just up and moved away, right? Like with a lot of people who moved out of San Francisco. I know pastors who took off um, and, uh, you know, moved back home to wherever they were from. Um, but our church, as small as we are, we're still here and we're, we're going to going forward, right? We're going to, we're going to come out of this. And the fact that we just survived this year, I think is, is an evidence of God's grace when a lot of churches didn't survive the year. I'm very excited, you know, for, um, you know, we didn't have the infrastructure of an established church. We didn't have, um, you know, everything that established churches had. We had two weeks to meet together, right? And then, um, the shelter in place, and through that all, we're smaller than we were, but we're still here and we're going to go. So we're going to keep going forward. And so that that's just one more evidence that like, I think God is is blessing our church and blessing our effort and what we're trying to do here. Now, let's talk about going forward then. What are the challenges first? What, what are going to be the challenges as we, we move forward, um, as people start to get vaccinated and everything? Well, there's a couple of challenges here. Um the the first challenge that we have as a church is the same challenge that every church plant has it's becoming financially sustainable so we are uh doing pretty well right now but <clears throat> uh most of our funding comes from external sources right the the efc church the um 
donors from outside. We, we are not raising enough money internally uh, to sustain ourselves. And so um, this has always been, like I said, a struggle for church plants to get from launching to financially sustainable. Um, I think COVID and the way that the world is changing, and we'll talk about that next, but is is drastically going to change the way that churches are funded and uh, sustainable, and it's going to make it even harder for a small church plant to become financially sustainable. And so the church is not a business, right? We are a beacon of light in the darkness. We are an, an embassy of the kingdom of God here in San Francisco. But at the same time, uh, realist, you know, we don't want to be... Um, uh, stupid about money, right? We want to steward the money that God has given us, and we want to be good stewards of his kingdom. And to do that, we have to be, uh, we have to end up financially sustainable. And so just getting from where we are now to a point where we are not uh, reliant on external funding is going to be a giant challenge going forward. The second big challenge going forward is um, that San Francisco has changed, and the world has changed. And you guys saw some of the answers people, I asked that question, right, that people posted in the, um, in the Slack channel. Um, but uh, one big way that San Francisco has changed is uh, with people working remotely, San Francisco is not going to be the same city that it used to be, right? People um, now don't have to live here. And that's a big game changer. You see U-Hauls and people moving out of the city. There's been a giant just mass exodus out of San Francisco. Um, they're moving to Portland and people are moving to Austin. And um, I saw a map the other day of where everybody was headed. They're headed to places with lower rents, with lower regulation, with lower taxes, right? You know, people don't have to live here. And so um, a lot of churches are built in big cities to meet the needs of those people who are now gone. Um, luckily, our church was never really designed to reach transplants uh, who are only going to be here for a few years. Um, and so uh, um, it's not going to hit us as hard as I think it hits some churches. But going forward, we are going to have to adapt like sort of how we're thinking about the world, how we're thinking about uh, San Francisco, how we're thinking about our mission field, right? Um, there's a guy who wrote a book um, called The Post-Quarantine Church, I think it was called. Uh, his name's Tom Rayner. I want to read this quote to you from uh, Tom Rayner. It says, the biggest problem with the back-to-normal approach, right, everything will just go back to normal, uh, is that the world has changed significantly. The pre-quarantine world and the post-quarantine world are not the same. Churches can no longer minister effectively using the methods uh, for a world that no longer exists. And so going forward, the world has changed, and we really need to spend time as a church answering that question that I posted on Slack. How has it changed, and uh, what can we what can we do about it? And that's sort of our third challenge going forward is we're going to have to get good at adapting to the unknown. Um, also in that book, Tom Rayner said this, this may be the last thing he's writing here to pastors that you want to hear, but to lead successfully in the post-quarantine church, you're going to have to lead without total clarity. Now, as church planters and pastors and leaders, uh, people like me, we like to say, here's what's happening in the world and here's how we're going to attack it. But the thing is, we're going into a season of Western, you know, actually more than Western civilization, but we live in Western civilization. So we'll say like Western American civilization that we haven't ever seen. We don't know what the world is going to look like this year. We don't know what the world is going to look like next year. And even though we like control, we're not going to have that control. And we have to be... Uh, good at adapting. It's like um, uh, 
probably the most talented running back of all time was a guy named Barry Sanders. And he played, the problem is he played for the Lions, right? And so eventually he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sick of losing. And he quit right in the prime of his career. But what Barry Sanders was great at, he was the best at um, uh, changing his angle mid run. So he would hit one gap and then the gap would be full and he would bounce to the outside. So he would look at the field in front of him and instead of just hit the gap that he's supposed to hit as a running back, he would adapt to the situation. And I think that's the kind of churches that are going to be successful going forward with real kingdom work are going to be the Barry Sanders churches. The churches that plan one thing out and they practice a play and then they, you know, they hit the gap and uh, there's two linebackers there. And so they spin around, they hit the outside, then they run down the sideline and into the end zone, right? This was the church after Pentecost. They had no idea what was going to happen next. Think of the unknown of Thousands of people just came to faith, and now we have to figure out how to disciple and send them out on mission, right? They were making up the playbook as they were going along. Think of Paul on his journeys and the unknown there. Think of somebody like um, Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission and his just complete unknown missionary work. Like, he just didn't know what was in front of him, and he went anyway. And this is the kind of church that we, I would like us to be going forward, but it's going to be a challenge because most of us are not great at this. We like things to be the same and we like to know what's going to happen, uh, <clears throat> but we have to get good at sort of adapting to what's in front of us. Um, and here's the, um, I, what is this, probably the fourth one, um, big sort of struggle that we're going to have going forward. And this is especially true living in a... Um, politically left-wing city like San Francisco is that uh, because of COVID, um, Christian witness has taken a huge hit. We, um, whether we like it or not, are going to get lumped in with a lot of people who acted in ways that we did not act during COVID. And uh, if you ask people in San Francisco right now, what do you think of Christians? I think a lot of the answers you're going to get are things about anti-masking. Um, you're going to get things about... Um, uh, like Christian nationalism and sort of white supremacy and that sort of stuff. Um, you're going to get answers about um, how churches fought and bickered over over the response to COVID. And basically, um, as a as a faith and as followers of Jesus, we our reputation has taken a hit during this time. And so um, that just backs us up even further as we're trying to love and serve our neighbors and share the gospel with them, right? All right, so those are sort of the challenges. What's the plan going forward then? What are we going to be doing in the next year? Well, here's the plan going forward. The first thing is we're going to have Easter at the park right there. Um, I'm actually parked right where we're going to be. Um, so on Easter, we're going to post early in the morning at midnight, you know, Easter morning, we're going to post a sermon I, don't, I haven't thought even of what we're going to do yet, but some sort of Easter sermon. And um, uh, we encourage people to watch that at 1030. I'm going to make sure the entire video for Easter is less than an hour. So it'll be you'll be done by 1130. Um, and then we're going to meet here at the Marina Green at 1230. 
Um, we are going to ask, uh, this is all on the website, but we're still going to ask that you social distance and all that stuff, right? So we need you to wear a mask. We want you to be careful. We're going to have hand sanitizer here. If you bring lunch, which we encourage you to do, right? We're having a picnic at the park. Um, we just ask that you don't sit right next to people, you know, while you're eating and have to take your mask off to sort of spread out. Um, we don't want to be that church that gets, um, everybody in the church gets COVID and then we are, end up on CNN because we all had lunch in the park too early. Um, if Easter goes well, we might do more of these uh, every, I would like to do this every Sunday going forward, um, but we haven't decided that yet. We'll see. Um, but just some sort of like church at 1030, meet somewhere in public at a park or somewhere outside for the next couple of months, or, or I don't know how long, until we decide um, that we are going to get back to church services at Powell. But here's the thing. We will be back to meeting soon. I don't want to say when yet, though, um, because I want to see you know, like I said, we want to be the church that adapts to the situation in front of us. Um, and so we're going to get back to meeting. We're going to get back to missional families and we're going to get back to, um, you know, being together as a people and worshiping our King. And so, um, what can you do? That's the next kind of idea I want to talk about. What can you do going forward? As a as part of the porch and somebody who's watching these videos, what can you do to help us? All right, here's the first thing is to just continue to be a people of prayer. I love our prayer, um, uh, prayer Wednesdays, you know, on Zoom. I love that uh, Caleb posts the prayer lists uh, on the Slack. If you don't have access to that, just let us know. We, we want you to get into that. Uh, and just to go through that during the week and to pray for each other and to, to ask God to keep providing for us the way he has been and to ask God, um, you know, to bless us and to, to help me as I lead this church. Um, Think of the 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 post-ascension church, but before Pentecost, right? Jesus blasts off. He tells them to wait. We talked about that. So they're up there waiting for a little bit more than a month. What do you think they did in that upper room when Pentecost happened, right? In Acts 2.1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. What do you think they were doing in one place? Do you think they were watching Seinfeld? Well, probably. That's what I'd be doing. Just kidding. Uh, they were probably watching... No, I mean, sorry. They were probably um, having the world's longest prayer meeting, right? And they were they were praying and uh, praying and asking for boldness. And then the Holy Spirit fell and Pentecost happened, right? I'm not a good enough pastor to muster up, like, success on my own. You're not a good enough... A Christian to muster up success on your own. We're not a good enough church to muster up success on our own. The only way that this little church is going to be successful is if God gives us that success. And the only way that that happens is we are totally dependent on him and that we are really people of prayer. And so I encourage you first and foremost to be a person of prayer. Um, the second thing I'd encourage you is uh, to think about as we go forward, think about and understand the difference between people who are partners in the mission and people who are the mission. Now, let me tell you what I mean by this. Um, a lot of church plants grow by only trying to recruit more people who are actually partners in the mission, right? They turn partners into the mission, if that makes sense. So there are people out there who are already followers of Jesus, and um, they don't need to be baptized. They, they need to continue in discipleship, but they don't need to be moved from darkness to light, right? They're already people of the light. They're already... Uh, people who have surrendered their lives to the king. Now, those people are not our mission, right? Reaching those people and having them show up at a Sunday church, that's not the mission of our church. But 
any church plant to be successful, we do need to add more of these people, right? We need to add more people who are not the mission, but who are partners in the mission. So part of our growth has to come through uh, adding more people who um, are already followers of Jesus and are willing to step in and join us in the mission. And so I want you to think about some of those people and we need a bigger team if we're going to be a successful church, right? Um, I don't know, probably double in size from where we are now That with just people who are partners in the mission. We need to grow that way. But at the same time, as we're thinking about that, I don't want to grow with those people at the expense of people who actually are the mission of the church. There are people out there who don't know Jesus, who have not surrendered their lives to him, who don't know uh, his grace and his love. And what we want to do is spend a lot of our energy on uh, investing in those people. That process is a lot slower uh, and takes longer than growing our church through people, adding people just as partners, right? Um, and so anyway, I want you to think about those Hopefully you see the difference between those two groups of people. And I want you to think about how can I help the church grow from uh, with new partners? And what am I doing to help uh, the kingdom grow through people who are the mission? Right. All right. So the next thing I want you to do then is as you're thinking about those people, I also want you to think of the porch as your own. I want you to take ownership with the porch. Um, that's one of the best things that you can do going forward is to, to really invest and take ownership. A church um, doesn't work if it's the pastor's church. Uh, that's how cults work, right, is when it's the pastor's church. Uh, and everybody knows that in a cult, right, you, uh, uh, you make more money as a leader, but you have way more fun as a follower. Just kidding, that's a line from the office. Um, no, we don't, we're, we don't want to be a cult, right? We want to be a community. And uh, a church is not going to work if somebody like me has a bunch of ideas and the pastor has a bunch of ideas. And then I come up with these ideas and then I pressure you to get those ideas done. That's not going to work. <clears throat> it's not sustainable for me. It's not healthy for you. And it's not how the kingdom of God works, right? A church works when pastors like me, the main thing that I'm doing in the week is guiding you and helping you be better at the things in the kingdom that you're already passionate about. And so what I want you to do is really think about what it is you're passionate about and how can the church support you in doing those kingdom things, right? Um, I want you to take ownership and I, I want to hear more ideas from you guys about sort of where our church should go and where you want to go as a follower of Jesus and how we can help you do that. Um, next, um, the next thing is, and we've talked about this a little bit, but we really do have to get a grasp as a church. And so I want you to spend time praying and thinking about this, that the world going forward is not going to be like the world behind us. Um, I just read a book called Canoeing the Mountains. And it was okay. But anyway, you know, medium book. Um, but the idea of the book, I really loved the idea of the book, maybe better than the execution of the book. But the idea is this. He takes the the story of Lewis and Clark and then talks about Christian leadership. And and um, Lewis and Clark, if you don't know that story, Thomas Jefferson bought, uh, you know, the Louisiana Purchase from Napoleon Bonaparte. And um, he uh, sent his friend, Meriwether Lewis, and then Lewis got his friend, Clark. What's Clark's first name? Mm, I don't know. I forget his first name, but anyway. And uh, these two guys get together and they lead this expedition uh, to the Pacific Ocean. And their their goal was to find a waterway, like a river way, that goes from east to west. So they start with their canoes and they go down the rivers, you know. Well, eventually they come to a point where they hit the Rocky Mountains. 
and they're standing before the Rocky Mountains and they realize this is not what we thought. You see, everybody thought that the entire, um, the entire uh, landmass of, you know, what's now the United States of America would be the same geography kind of on the East Coast as it is on the West Coast. And if you know anything about the geography of the U.S., the, the mountains on the East Coast are small and they're pathetic and they're not as good as our mountains. The mountains, the Rockies and the Sierras, those are no joke. That's a real mountain range. That's a grown man's mountain range, right? And so Lewis and Clark come to this mountain range and it's not what they thought it was going to be. And they had to adapt. They had to get rid of the canoes. And they, actually a lot of it too, was they relied on Sacagawea, who was an amazing person, right? If you know her story, she carried a baby while all these guys, you know, uh, she carried a baby with her on this trip. It's insane. Anyway, um, they had to adapt to the way that they got across the mountains. They weren't going to be able to canoe across these mountains. And so I think that's the, 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 the reason I read this book um, was because that is such a good idea for where the church is, like the American church and our church specifically, is we had a plan going forward as a church plan. And the church had a plan, how to minister in America and all this stuff. And then COVID hit and COVID was the Rocky Mountains. And now we're standing before the Rocky Mountains and we can't just get in our canoes and go forward. It's not going to work. And so we have to be able to adapt going forward. And this is a year right now that we just went through um, this is kind of a year, year and a half that we're still going to be talking about in 30 or 40 years, right? This was our, our church and our generation, our big moment. And so we have to set aside our expectations of what we thought this church would look like. Um, this year has, has been hard, right? It's basically thinned our herd. Um, and all over our churches, it's then the herd and here in San Francisco. We've had a couple of people from the porch move away, uh, which is a huge bummer. Um, we've had, uh, but another big thing is just the American church, right? Cultural Christianity is not going to fly anymore. There were people that went to church just because they went to church, right? But not because they were really deeply followers of King Jesus. And there's a lot of other reasons that people were in church and they maybe even tithed and were part of it. Well, this last year just showed them that they don't have to go to church and really nothing has changed in their lives because they weren't deeply invested anyway. And so going forward, a lot of those people are going to be gone. And that's really drastically going to change how church looks. The death of consumer Christianity is going to be a huge deal going forward. Um, again, Tom Rainer in that book, he said this, uh, the book about post-quarantine church. He said, here's something important we need to understand. The rel And this is so important. The relatively stable times that churches in North America have enjoyed over the past two centuries are an aberration, certainly compared to other parts of the world and down through the history of the church. An argument could be made that the comfort and stability that comfort and stability are unhealthy for the church. So the last bunch of years in America, it's been comfortable to be a part of a church. Right? It was part of our culture and you know, like uh, where I heard somewhere that in the South, you know, you miss church on Sunday, your boss asks you on Monday why you weren't there, right? That's sort of, and we don't have that a ton in San Francisco, but the idea that it's comfortable and easy to be a part of a church, just the way that things are changing, that's not going to be the case anymore. And so the world in front of us is going to be a lot more hostile to followers of Jesus. It's going to be a lot harder to, to maintain and operate a church. It's going to be harder to witness. A lot of the stuff in front of us is going to be a lot harder than we expected. We just walked up to the Rockies and now we have to decide, are we going to cross the Rockies or are we going to give up and head home? And so as we're standing in front of these Rocky Mountains, this is the last idea I want you to have. I want you to be a dreamer, right? I want you to be 
somebody who believes that what we're doing is good, but also just has big dreams about where it is that we're headed. Start dreaming, start brainstorming about how our church can really make a dent with our neighbors for the kingdom of God. How our church can be a light in the northeast corner of San Francisco. How you personally can get to know your neighbors better. Think about what it'll be like in a couple of years if we continue down this mission, if we continue with the blessing of God. Um, and the, the you know, we want to be the kind of church that's curb stomping the devil here in North Beach. And so what is it? I, I want you to have big dreams about what this, um, what this church can be. And then I think that'll help you take ownership uh, in where we are going forward. And so um, that's kind of what I've got here in my notes for our vision Casting Sunday, right? Our State of the Union address. I didn't leave as many applause breaks as I thought maybe I would. Um, but anyway, I really appreciate... I'll end with this. I really appreciate you guys. And I really appreciate... Um, I love being your pastor. I love our little church. And um, I'm so glad that we're in the place that we're in. And uh, I'm, I'm glad, like I shared, that we didn't just spend a year bickering over whether we should meet or wear masks like a lot of churches did. You guys really have been wonderful um, during COVID. And uh, this was not the year that I was planning for our church. This was not the year any of us thought we would have as the first year as a church. And I think you guys handled it really well. And I'm so um, happy to be joined at the hip to such a godly and um, uh, sincere group of followers of Jesus. And so let me just thank God for you guys. And then let's um, pray for the, the next year. And... Um, you know, the next bunch of years for our church going forward. So Lord, I, um, you know, as I sit here in my van by myself, and uh, as I think about the, the, even the little amount of personal contact that I've been able to have with folks at the porch, I just thank you that we've been able to continue to be a community. And I thank you that we've still been able to love each other and um, support each other. And, um, as a church plant, Lord, I just thank you for this group of people that you uh, have brought together and um, that, that, that you love and you have redeemed. And um, what we're doing here with our community, Lord, is just a small taste of uh, the community that we will have in the new heavens and earth and um, that we will have um, for all of eternity. And so I, I thank you, Lord, for our first year uh, as, as a family of what will be billions of years together. And so I, I pray you'd help us to live with eternal perspective and um, and that you would just help us all to be grateful for this community and the way that you have brought us together. I thank you that we're still here and just the miracle that that is and the provision that you have given us. Uh, we thank you for the way that you are leading us and uh, that you are calling us to be loving and be a light in San Francisco. Um, we thank you that you use a bunch of wretched, disgusting sinners as a part of your plan and that you've brought us into your family and that you, um, that you really do treat us as sons and daughters. I pray for the, the future of the porch, Lord. I pray that you would bring us more partners in mission, more people who already know you and that, that come in and just love um, the mission that we have laid out and want to be a part of what it is we're doing. Um, and so I, I, just, I pray for a lot of those folks to just show up for, through different means. Uh, but then ultimately, Lord, we pray for the people who are the mission. I pray for the people who don't know you and who are sitting in darkness and don't even know um, 
that there's a light out there and we want to love those people and serve those people and we want to be able to share um, just the joy that we have in you with them so I, I pray that, that in the next year or the next five years and ten years of our church that you would just give us so many opportunities to do that we thank you that that you love us we thank you that you've called us to this church and we thank you that you have uh, held us in your hands through this very difficult year you're such a great uh, such a great lord we pray this in the, the name of your son our king amen